basically he's he's like Ned, but without the sort of without the same happy-go-lucky sense of silly fun. And the other guy is called Biter, who doesn't say anything, but um, he's bald with uh, teeth that have been filed to points. Ironically, though, he's actually in for financial fraud, so um, don't judge a book. (laughs) There's also uh, uh, Tommen, the the younger brother of Joffrey, uh, decides he wants to have a joust. And uh, he's, he's obviously crap. Hello and welcome to Shark Liver Oil. This is the first episode of our coverage of a new book, which is uh, George R. R. Martin's Clash of Kings. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And you may get a sense of a... Well, we certainly have a sense of deja vu with this, <laughs> because um, owing to situations and uh, mistakes beyond our control... <laughs> is it situations, would you say shit equipment beyond our control? <laughs> yeah, um, basically, we're gonna. We're, this is the second time we've recorded this part, um, which basically you, you might you might notice it's going to be slightly shorter than the others, um, simply because we we go we're, we're literally going over old ground. I like to think of it more as the real performance. This is the real quiz following mm. our dress rehearsal before. That's a, that. Yeah, that's a that's a nice way to look at it. Um, <laughs> let's uh, so. <laughs> Hmm. But it's still gonna, you know. We thought we'd, we'd record it again for you because that's the kind of guys we are. We just love you. What we're doing in this, what, what we do generally in the podcast, if you've not heard it before, we um, we break down a book into a number of parts, and then we discuss them sort of bit by bit. So we get you get a better sort of uh, feel for the book rather than just one long discussion about the whole thing. And with Game of Thrones, we tend to break it down almost a sort of a sister podcast to a podcast about the series so this looks just at the book but it breaks it down into 10 parts like the series does and then we look at them piece by piece so this week we are reading from uh, page 1 obviously because it's the start <laughs> of the book to page 112 and this part will be called The North Remembers Dramatic <laughs> You sound like you think that is the case <laughs> Well, I, it is. Although, uh, you know, like we say, I'm having trouble remembering what the North is remembering because it's been a while. Yeah, this is the North re-remembers. The North. <laughs> this is the North remembers the remix. Exactly. Um, okay, it's, this book starts with um, with a, a prologue like the first one did, and we're introduced to a raft of new characters. There's there's um, and a new a new location. This is called Dragonstone. This is this little island um, just off the off the sort of east coast of Westeros, and it's where uh, Stannis, if you remember, the the sort of eldest younger brother to the old king, to to King Robert, is currently residing. This is brooding. the first time we've seen him, isn't it? Yeah, and he broods on Dragonstone, and you know he really does brood this character. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he's not happy-go-lucky, is he? He's, uh, no, he's, not. he's just the the most joyless ass. I think <laughs> it just doesn't even give you a chance to maybe like him and make make your mind up for yourself. He's just presented to you as sort of the literary equivalent of smelling dog shit on the road. You're just like, oh, 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 that's horrible. I don't want that. Yeah, he's just um, he just seems quite bitter, doesn't he? Yeah. He's he's all for he's absolutely crazy about fairness and rights and honour and stuff. I think basically he's he's like 
Ned, but without the sort of um, without the same really, like humane side, I suppose. I was going to say without the same happy-go-lucky sense of silly <laughs> fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's what I mean. They they're both very serious and and uh, you know. Um, very down the line when it comes to honour they always yeah. play by the rules you feel mm. um, although um, certain things happen in this book which maybe maybe knock that down well um, we'll as see as far as Stannis is concerned yeah so there are various other characters uh, we're introduced to in this prologue one is called Cresson Master Cresson um, we may as well spend a bit of time with him while we can because <laughs> he doesn't last very long Um He's the old trusted advisor of Stannis, but it it looks like he's getting sidelined a bit um, in recent years, um, largely because Stannis has taken on this um, worship of a new god. So we're introduced to a not only we've got new characters, new location, we've got a new religion as well, um, which is the 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 Red God, which is this uh, monotheic uh, religion, and uh, a bit a bit different to to sort of what we've seen so far in Westeros. Definitely. And um and it's just another an interesting sort of riff on the religious influence that you might have found in a kind of in a medieval setting that you know, in our world rather than in this fictional place. Um and this has got this has got fundamentalism in it. And I think that's mm. an interesting swing because most takes on religion do the formal, do the the ceremonial and the ritual. They don't have the the kind of um deeply deep deep kind of in the bone um conviction of your own rightness that comes from a certain type of religious belief and uh, and if there's one thing you can say these adherents to the red god have it's fundamentalism they are they are bought in and sold out and fucking mental (laughs) Yeah. Now this uh, speaking of mental, this uh, religion is is led on Dragonstone by um this this woman called Malisandra. She's known as the Red Woman. Um unsurprisingly she wears, wears red a lot. She's got this uh, got <laughs> Wouldn't this it be great if she actually wore sort of like quite subdued browns but she had like strikingly communist views. Yeah, yeah that would be, <laughs> be fantastic. It'd be a, it'd certainly be unusual for this uh, for this book yeah never mind fundamentalism I want to see some um, some far left wing revolutionary talk <laughs> <laughs> she's got a uh, a red sort of stone that she ha- keeps around her neck as well like I think it's like a ruby and it actually glows red um, so it's um, mm. just a little to be honest it's one of the few things that character descriptions that immediately feels more fantasy than historical novel Oh, that's um, true, isn't it? Do you, do you think that's a bit of a gear change for the for the book to come, perhaps? Because because I mean, the the last book ended with you know dragons returning to Westeros, and uh, and you know we've had the White Walkers and stuff. So do you reckon this is George Martin going? All right, we've all had fun with fake history. Now <laughs> magic. Yeah, well, magic is creeping back into this, and yeah, I think you're right. It does do more so in this book. But it's still, like the first one, a bit of a slow burner. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to suddenly see, um, you know, characters shooting bolts of magic out of the fingers. You know, what I mean? <laughs> I mean, a, a little goblins turning up, speaking to people. That, that's not going to happen. Oh, you disappoint but, me. Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so there's Malisan, and basically there's this. For, from from Crescent's point of view, the, the the Maester's point of view, we get a sense of this power struggle around Stannis, 
of, as to who he sides with and who he believes. Melisandre is um, urging him to attack uh, Westeros to to take the Iron Throne because he's the he's the rightful king, and uh, Cresson is is urging against that, and he's obviously very uncomfortable with the way things are going because um, it's obviously a as you said fundamentalist uh, religion and he is the maesters as we saw from Lewin up in Winterfell tend to tend to be more rational mm. um, th- th- this th- this chapter builds to a crescendo when Crescent actually tries to assassinate Melisandre um, by giving her poison and uh, he walks up to her in front of everybody uh, with this cup full of poisoned wine and Melisandre as he walks up to her says it's not too late to spill the wine basically saying I know what you're up to Bloody and I'm hell. not even going to expose you yeah that is some creepy shit isn't it oh yeah and it gets creepier because she actually drinks it and then gives it to him and he drinks it and he dies and she doesn't so has she been drinking poison against this day or is there magic going on or is she actually secretly some sort of lizard creature that can bypass fluids those are the well. three options we've got here. <laughs> well, I think you could still, at this point, make a case that can well. She's either very lucky, mm. or, um, or yeah, she's got some kind of inbuilt immunity. But it doesn't necessarily mean she's magical, does it? Well, that's true. She's got she's got a shiny, shiny ruby, undue influence. I'm saying I, I, I'm I'm putting my chips firmly on. Shit's about to get spangly in Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> The next chapter is, you'll be delighted to hear, it's Aya. Oh, she's alive. And she's alive. Oh, yeah, gratifying. When, when, <laughs> when we left Aya in the last book, as you said, you were pretty upset because... Oh, uh, George. Um, oh, it George. Was basically, we'd just seen Ned killed, and Aya gets sort of pushed up against a wall, and then this guy draws a knife on her, and you think, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you think, oh, no, and then it's the end of the sodding book. <laughs> that was the thing that got me. It, it wasn't so much that it was like kind of, oh, this is very dramatic. This is very dramatic. And I'm going to have to wait until I get the next book in order to find out what happens. It's not playing the game, George. It's not playing the game. Yeah. And this is just a very quick chapter checking in with it, um, uh, just showing what's going on. And she's been taken north now with a, a load of uh, recruits for the Night's Watch. So there's this guy called Yorin who... who wanders around picking up recruits for to take up to the wall and he obviously knew her father and he recognised her so he's, he's, he's got her out of the city he's taken her out of the city and the, the plan is to drop her off at Winterfell on the way up but she's got to go disguised as a boy um, because A, they only take boys to the wall and B, they can't let everybody know who she is because obviously the gold cloaks want to, still want to catch her yeah. and also there are certain people in this group who even Yorin says, you know these aren't particularly nice people and they'll probably shop you out if they can Yeah, that's true uh, There's a lot of peril still surrounding Ari, isn't there? Mm. We meet a couple of the people going up Some of them are, are really just young boys um, including these two Lommy and Hot Pie <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hot Pie is, uh, <laughs> is one of my favourite characters yeah, he's, a bit, he's a bit is a bit crap, um, it, but when she first meets him here, he's a real bully, um, mm. and he, he tries to—I uh, think he tries to steal a sword—and um, he tells 
he tells uh, Arya that he kicked a boy to death by kicking him in the balls. He said, <laughs> I, I kicked him in the balls and I kept kicking him till he was dead. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's grade A schoolboy bravado, isn't it? It's exactly <laughs> the sort of thing that, like, that you and your mates would talk in the playground when you were 12. You yeah. know, not necessarily that you killed somebody, but like, oh, with absolutely no knowledge of, what, of how anything actually works. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, no, I, I I nicked it all from the shop because I uh, I just said, look over there, there's a dog, and he looked because he was fucking stupid, and I nicked all of his sweets. Do you know? Like, it's that sort of, it's that utter nonsense. Disclaimer: never stole anything from any shops when I was a child. <laughs> but it's that sort yeah, of thing, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so so they get they get into a bit of a scrap uh, as the kids will do. And um, in the end, Aya ends up getting... It gets broken up. Aya defends herself quite well, actually. Um, and then she ends up getting a few beats from Yorin, who's yeah. trying to explain to her how important it is that she keeps her head down yeah. and um, doesn't get into fights and things like that. Um, he, we also get a little glimpse into the fact that Yorin was in the crowd um, with sort of the instruction from the throne to take Ned to the wall so the plan was as far as everybody was concerned that as we thought Ned would confess and then get pardoned and sent to the wall and and it was lit- it was literally just a spur of the moment decision from Joffrey to, to take his head off showing himself in his first moment of kingship to be a real cool headed decision maker who's able to take in all the angles and make the best decisions what the fuck is this? You've got the most valuable man in the kingdom, the key to an entire war, and because there's a bunch of people in front of you going, stone him! Stone him! <laughs> you go, yeah, actually, do you know, I think I will. I'll have him killed, because I'm the king, and that's what being the king means, right? Just do whatever you want. <laughs> uh, speaking of Joffrey, the next chapter's about Sansa, and we see that she's still being treated monstrously by Joffrey, um, despite the fact she's still going to marry him. Um, or maybe because of the fact she's still going to marry him, you get the feeling that he just doesn't like it very much, or he doesn't yeah. like anybody particularly. Yeah, it's not, I don't think it's so much that he feels malice to, or like that he dislikes people. It's just that he can't conceive of people as something to like. He conceives yeah. of them as something to toy with. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that's a nice reading of it actually. Um, so Geoffrey's having this birthday joust. Uh, it's a tournament in his honour yeah. and if you remember when they did the last one for the Hand of the King for Ned's arrival it was this enormous uh, really impressive event and this is still you know, an expensively put on uh, big deal but uh, the standard of the people jousting is pretty rubbish <laughs> and I think even one of the King's Guards say yeah I'll probably win today but there's not going to be much joy in it because the field so rubbish and it's simply because you know everybody who's anybody is out of the city fighting a war at the moment yeah yeah fighting for real right yeah 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 it's kind it's kind of like uh i don't know uh the cricket or the rugby here when there's a major international championship going on and all the big (laughs) players have gone on (laughs) yeah it'd be like holding a, a football a world cup um, while the Premier League's going on and yeah. all the decent players disappearing. Well, well, I, this is not a sports satire podcast, so we won't talk about Qatar 20, 2022, no. <laughs> but bloody hell. Anyway, um, back to the book. <laughs> now, um, one of the knights, um, seeing as the, the standard's so low, is this guy called Sedontos, who's, uh, who's a, obviously a drunk, mm. and uh, he turns up drunk for this joust, which is a dreadful idea, considering Joffrey's watching. 
Um, Geoffrey wants to kill him by basically force feeding him wine till he dies. Oh, it's wit, um, isn't it? It's from the Cal Drogo school of wit. That one. It is actually a yeah. golden yeah. crown. Ha 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 ha! <laughs> oh, he's pissed feeding wine. <laughs> I reckon Joffrey and Drogo would get on actually. They probably they have shared shared interests, don't they? <laughs> what well, shared interest in brutality and extremely questionable <laughs> physical puns? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but Sedantos is saved by Sansa, who says that um, thinks it's a bit. She says two things: one, it's bad luck to kill someone on your birthday, um, and two, um, he doesn't deserve. Uh, Dantos doesn't deserve a quick uh, of a death let's not let's not pretend it's going to be quick he doesn't deserve to be killed yeah um he uh he should become a fool instead uh so that's what happens they they turn him into a fool or a jester and uh and joffrey consents to this and it's just a little example that sansa can actually can do something quite finessed when she puts her mind to it um, because Joffrey has been handled here, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I'd like to be happier about it, but I think this very clearly comes from the fact that she's been watching Cersei do her thing for an entire book so mm. far, you know, and has, has in fact been horribly played by Cersei, you know, to the cost yeah. of her father's life in a way, because it was her that originally shopped Ned and said, you know, let's get him on the scaffold and then go through this whole this whole kind of thing. So yeah. it's it's a horrendously high price, but she's she has learned how to be a queen in this context, which is all about manipulating men. Yeah, I suppose it's a small victory, but it, it's a victory nonetheless. So we'll take it. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's also uh, uh, Tommen, the, the the younger brother of Joffrey, uh, decides he wants to have a joust. Um, he's only he's only very little. He's a little boy, and uh, he's, he's obviously crap. He actually. Um, gallops towards a straw man um, and smacks it. It's, it's a lot of when you're practicing. There's yeah. sort of a a bag which you, which you strike and it swings round. You know, to, um, as, as you as you ride past, mm. and it actually swings round and hits him on the head and knocks him off his horse. So he loses to a inanimate object effectively. Um, but he's trying his best, and and Sansa actually thinks. You know, I wish I was marrying him instead because he yeah. might not be the strongest, but he's actually quite nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His basic honesty of purpose is better than um, yeah. better than uh, than Joffrey. I tell you what, I thought actually, yeah. just a quick comparison to the TV series is does, in the TV series, Sedontus was kind of was a really funny interlude up until where, if I remember correctly, Joffrey has him killed, doesn't he? He actually does have him drowned in wine. Um, he starts to, and then Sansa stops him. Oh, oh, I see. That's interesting. Because in my head, this character showed up. And as I was reading it, because I'd seen the TV series, I was like, oh, he's going to die. Mm. And then it didn't happen. Clearly, I wasn't paying enough attention to the TV series either. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, he did survive. Yeah. All right. Um, but, but yeah, it was, uh, it was it pretty much goes exactly as it went in the book. Mm, mm. So Joffrey was a cock then? Yeah. Sorry, carry on. Um, at the end of this chapter, Tyrion arrives, and uh, it's a bit of a bit of a big, bit of a big arrival. Just one little thing about when Tyrion arrives: a couple of uh, the, the two younger children, uh, Tom and Marcella, run over to him straight away, and they're delighted to see him. Yeah, he's actually quite popular with the kids, which. Um, I don't know. That was just thought that was that was quite a nice touch because everybody else, his immediate reaction is is suspicion or disgust when they see Tyrion. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, alongside alongside Jamie, who also seems to like Tyrion, are we have we got like a category of 
Lannister, two different categories of Lannisters emerging, like total bastards, so Cersei and Tywin and Joffrey, and like marginally more sympathetic, certainly like um, Marcella and Tommen, and also mm. Jamie because he doesn't seem to be a murderous psychopath, even if he is an incestuous son of a bitch. And uh, pushing children out and, of windows. Yeah, and there. a child crippling. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I think I think he probably qualifies in the uh, in, in the bastard range. Side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but he doesn't seem to have the same like like when Jamie's on screen. You uh, oh sorry on page. There we go. I'm betraying myself. When Jamie's <laughs> on the page, uh, you know, there's less of a kind of you know you suck surprising no one vibe whereas mm. Cersei and Joffrey and Tywin whenever I see them on the, on, on the page I'm like you're going to do something really fucking horrible before we leave this scene every single time so there's I, I mean Jamie's slightly less consistently a cock whereas oh you're, so you're a Jamie defender I'm not a Jamie defender no 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 don't get me wrong he shags his sister that shit's not right but mm. um but I, I am drawing a distinction between Jamie, who is not occasionally nice, but occasionally not as bad as he could possibly be, whereas Cersei and Joffrey certainly are consistently as bad as they could possibly be in all circumstances. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't know. What have we seen Jamie do so far? He, he, when we first met him, he pushed a child out of the window and shagged his sister. Um, his next, His next major thing that he did was um, order all of Ned's men to be killed <laughs> and have Ned injured and then he ran away and uh, fought a, a series of battles which uh, where he's destroyed a load of uh, forces in the Riverlands and then got captured. I, I, tell, I don't think he's done much that redeems him. I tell you what I'm thinking of though is I'm thinking of flashbacks where Tyrion's talking about him Ah, and I'm thinking ah. about you know descriptions of his behaviour towards Tyrion which are significantly different from Tywin mm. who hates who hates his son by the way you know like what the hell's that about yeah. and Cersei who hates her younger brother um, you know like, I, I, I think there is a distinction to be drawn because Tyrion is or certainly seems to have been to this point in his life quite a vulnerable character you know reads mm. a lot shags a lot makes a lot of witty comments you know isn't really in the game apart from that and mm. Cersei's response to that has been to hate him and his dad's response to that has been to put him in the vanguard of a vicious battle and try and have him killed whereas Jamie's yeah. response has been a bit more a bit more subtle like he's still yeah. don't get me wrong he's still he's still a bad character but he's not like as consistently horrible as Cersei and Tywin that's what I'm saying yeah I suppose it's a pretty low bar isn't it <laughs> yeah, is, it's to... like being more humane than Hitler isn't it it's like uh, let's move on then to the next chapter which is Tyrion mm. um, and his, it's, it's more about his arrival really, he meets the small council and he is he's basically doing um, going through what Ned went through when he arrived in the last book he's the new hand of the king and he's got to start working out how he actually handles power here and, and how the, the sort of the machinery and the cogs at King's Landing actually work yeah um, he sits and talks to Cersei about her various mistakes uh, which she's made over the last few months uh, where obviously Joffrey beheading Ned is a quite quite a high one but there's also things like dismissing Sebariston from the Kingsguard which feels like a, a bad move and various yeah. other bits and pieces losing Gaia, you know, these yeah. these things which have, have undermined the war effort which is 
pretty much the reason that Tywin sent Tyrion to King's Landing to actually get get things in order down here. Yeah, you've got to be pretty incompetent, haven't you? To such that Tywin Lannister will overlook his like consuming loathing for his youngest son and send him <laughs> to boss you around. Like how inept do you have to be? I might hate him, but I've nothing but contempt for you. <laughs> yeah. Um he also talks to Cersei about the uh the death of Robert, the King Robert, mm. and um and the boar that killed him, which everybody feasted upon mm. um at, at his sort of funeral. And Cersei says that the boar tasted like triumph which um says a lot about her hatred for her now deceased husband. See what I'm saying though? Every single time Cersei's on the page, something like that is gonna be said. You know, something like <laughs> breathtakingly insensitive and horrible is gonna be said every last time. <laughs> um when when Tyrion goes back to his, his own quarters, um he meets uh, Varys who uh Obviously, has come across Shay um, and knows about Shay. Uh, is, um, yeah, the big plan of Tyrion's was to sneak her into the city, um, so he could still keep seeing her despite the you know wishes of his father and uh, and the fact that having someone you care about in the city, as we find with Ned and his girls, make you vulnerable. Mm. Um, but yeah, if Shay is here and Varys knows, and there's this little discussion about. Uh, Varys asks Tyrion a riddle, um, and he says that there's a there's a cell sword, a guy with you know a soldier standing before three men. One's a priest who says kill the other two men because God commands it. One's a king who says kill the other two men because I'm your king and I command it. And one's a rich man who says kill the other two men because I'm rich and I'll pay you. And he asks which which person does the cell sword listen to? And we don't get an answer. They they go back to this later on actually. But um, Shay assumes that it would be the rich man, mm. and Tyrion considers and thinks it probably depends on who the sellsword is. Yeah, uh, it's an int- it's a lovely little uh, little scene, isn't it? That gives you a bit of insight into the mindsets of of these people. You know, like mm. Shay. Shay's quite a complicated character, but she's still a prostitute, and and so she's like, well, that's where the money is. And Tyrion <laughs> is his only weapon is knowing how people think. And, and so yeah. he's like, well, it all depends on the sellsword. And what you learn about Varys is that he's this infuriatingly opaque character who will talk in riddles and keep you yeah. intrigued even though you dislike him. Yeah, exactly. You'd feel that um, had that question been asked Ned, he would have immediately thought the king. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And had that question been put to, I don't know, Melisandre, she would have said, <laughs> obviously was, the breeze. Obviously the breeze. Although she would have said something kind of broodingly terrifying. <laughs> She would say, the man kills who the Red God wants the man to kill. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, she, she would have done, although I'm not certain that she would have said it in quite such a sort of drunken Oliver Reed <laughs> sort of voice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, that was my attempt at a... At, at, at uh, he her, was beautiful. Uh, I, I, I sort of want to inaugurate that into our uh, Accents Hall of Fame. No, I don't think we're going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> if you're looking for good accents, Dave... Oh, you've come to the wrong place. <laughs> um, just to explain that, if you've seen the new trailer for Game of Thrones Series 4, which we're now up to and we're trying to catch up to, um, <laughs> Tyrion says, um, at the end of the trailer, he says, Dave, 
if you've come looking for justice, you've come to the wrong place. <laughs> and uh, Dave actually does a, a, a quite a good impression of it, so we're maybe going back to that. Oh, it's that. It's that uh, one line. Go along. That's that's the only line <laughs> in in any recorded media anywhere that I can even <laughs> half impersonate. <laughs> yeah. So we were saying about various things. You're looking for various things, you come to the wrong place. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the last thing that Tyrion says in this chapter is he, he gets asked, you know what are you going to do to sort of hold on to power and outsmart people and he says he's going to do what Cersei and others don't expect and that's actually try and bring a bit of justice to this place and uh, rule with a bit of a conscience it's interesting isn't it because you would think in the face of such amoral characters as Cersei and as Joffrey the King that um, that, that would be like a recipe for vulnerability and death mm. but I, you know maybe there's something more in it than that Maybe it's more complicated than that. You know, maybe this is a really wise thing. You know, the the one thing that a town full of liars doesn't expect is for somebody to do something truthful. So mm. I wonder if that'll turn out to be a spectacular tactical masterstroke. Um, yeah. Because that's the one place that nobody else is going to go. Yeah, possibly. We'll see. No, but, um, we, we shoot up north to Winterfell to spend a, a short, very brief period with Bran. Um, the wolves are howling. Um, there the, are the, these two wolves left uh, two direwolves sorry uh, Bran's direwolf called Summer and uh, Rickon's called Shaggy Dog <laughs> and um, the wolves are howling and Bran's wondering why because there's this weird connection between the wolves and the and the children um, he gets various answers all different from various people my favourite one's Sir Roderick who's now returned you know the, the guy with the big whiskers oh, Sir Roderick um, what a hero yeah, he's now returned to Winterfell to look after Bram. Um and he just says, Who knows? You know. He says a wolf does what it does. <laughs> he couldn't be less interested in the in the riddle of what's going on with the wolves because he's very much a yeah, things he, are as they are. He, yeah, he's not one for signs and portents, is he? <laughs> no. I, I, what, the the sun rose slightly higher and the moon has gone blue? Fuck do I care? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also uh, Bran decides to start howling along with them, um, <laughs> and he's sitting, he's basically sitting by his window in his room howling, um, and so, and one of the sort of one of the people who's supposed to be looking after him, one of the guards comes in and asks him what he's doing, and he just keeps howling. So the guard runs off <laughs> and goes and gets the uh, the maester, who ends up calming him down. But it's just uh, it just shows how. I mean, he's just a little boy, isn't he, Bran? Yeah. So he will do odd things like this. Yeah. Uh, and also, it's just one of his ways of dealing with all the stress he's been under. Because look, he's 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 been crippled. Yeah. And um, he's uh, he's seen pretty much everybody he cares about leave, and some of them he knows have been killed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and, and but it, it is also a bit of a, a political misstep, isn't it? Because he's supposed to be the Stark in Winterfell. Yeah. And um, and he's just like hanging out of a window, howling like a wolf. I mean, that's a <laughs> that's a, a a a sun headline about the royals waiting to happen, isn't it? <laughs> Bonkers prince yeah, howls exactly. like wolf at three a.m. Pictures inside. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd have an interview with that guard, wouldn't they? Yeah, they would. <laughs> I went in there, and he was howling like a wolf. No disrespect <laughs> to the prince, obviously, but I thought he must have been mental. <laughs> 
my wolf horror would be the oh follow-up. brilliant bedroom <laughs> bed uh, and if he was a bit older it'd be um bedroom doggy style antics of young prince <laughs> he was like a wild beast <laughs> 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 There's got to be some pun in there. It's like Howl Jewels. Oh like no, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Let's. Uh, are, you th- are you trying to think of another one? I, I am, but we need to move on because I'll be here all day. <laughs> the only one, other one I can think of is Wolf Hall. Oh, hey. Oh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> but it's a bit too literary for the sun. <laughs> right. The next chapter... Oh, actually, the last thing I want to say about Bran and the wolves is this chapter ends with him actually inhabit. It seems like he's dreaming about being Summer, being the wolf. Mm. And um, it's either one of two things. It's either a dream or um, he's actually somehow inhabiting the body of Summer. Mm. Well, and this is yet another one of the things where is it a dream, is it real? So far, the dreams have been Mm. real. So is he a werewolf? You know, having, having established a zombie thing as well as in a medieval history thing and, and a kind of weird magic occult thing, is George Martin going for like for um, a foursome and also turning it into a werewolf flick? Mm. Yeah. We'll see. Next chapter, Arya. Back with Arya again. Um, and they're, they're making their journey north, this group of uh, recruits for the wall. Um, we get a feel for just how dangerous it is to travel now because there's a war going on. Um, as they pass through uh, the Riverlands, um, the, the, they're hearing these stories of, of how further north... Actually, they're not actually at the Riverlands yet. They're making their way towards them, which is the, the area where the war's really been forced at the moment. And they're hearing these tales of the fact that it's, a, it's just a real wasteland up there now. Um, and there are, there's this big wolf pack knocking around which is um, an enormous pack of wolves led by a giant wolf. Mm. And Arya thinks, well, that's roughly where I got rid of my... Well, I, I drove away my wolf, Nymeria, and maybe maybe it's her. But mm. she, you know, obviously there's, there's no way of knowing, but it seems like a quite a big coincidence. Well, that could be it. Uh, I mean, I suppose it could also be like, like figurative language because this, this is where Ned Stark sent a load of his men out, presumably wearing a wolf sigil mm. to kind of yeah. to do their thing so it could be that but to be honest with you i'd be a lot i'd be a lot happier if it turned out to be a um if it turned out to be nymeria because i just i dig these wolves i think they're really fun i think whenever they're mm. whenever they're about interesting things are going to happen because they're like you know massive wolves the size of horses sort of thing yeah I think they're brilliant <laughs> Um, we meet three um, other characters who are uh, we've already said that this group are uh, you know bound for the wall mm. and they're either recruits or people who just want to join the, the Night's Watch or they're really dangerous criminals um, who you know the law and order in the south don't really know what to do with so they pack them off to the wall um, but there are three members who are so dangerous that they're kept in a cage and Aya comes across these three guys one of them is called Jaken Hagar, um, who is, he, he looks like, I mean, he doesn't look particularly dangerous, he just speaks in quite a funny way. Oh, um, but that's a very English thing to do though, isn't it? Who's that? Don't know, but he talks funny. Lock him up. He's not trustworthy. <laughs> yeah, not to be trusted. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, he's in a. He, you assume he's in a cage for a reason, and his two companions um, are uh, a guy called Rog, who's noseless, and has got an absolutely filthy mouth on him. He's presumably he named fre- after the noise he makes when he snores. Can you imagine snoring? Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably. Yeah, mm. and um, and he's a. Uh, yeah, he immediately threatens to to kill Arya in a particularly nasty way mm. um, when she approaches. And the other guy is called Biter, who doesn't say anything, but um, he's bald with uh, teeth that have been filed to points. Ironically, though, he's um, actually in for financial fraud, so um, <laughs> don't judge yeah. a book. <laughs> he's actually quite sensitive and likes to read poetry yeah, and listen yeah. to music. Re- he writes poetry <laughs> about pointy teeth. <laughs> <laughs> he's a tormented soul. Uh, so, uh, so those those three and and uh, Jaken seems to be uh, actually fairly approachable. He um, he tries to strike up a conversation with Arya, and he actually apologizes for his two companions and says, you know, I can't choose. He actually says, a man cannot choose his companions. He, he always refers to himself in the third person. Yeah, yeah. He's, mm. it, that's almost like like the worst night out ever. If you've got when you were younger, if you had a couple of friends that were liable to get off that out of hand, when uh, when they've had a few and you're travelling around just apologising for them, I ju- I'm, ju- I'm sorry, all right, I can't know them forever, sorry. <laughs> um, th- th- the end of this chapter, the gold cloaks show up, members of the city watch, and they're looking for somebody, and um, and basically they they want to take uh, Arya thinks it's her but it isn't it's Gendry they want yeah. um, because this this guy called Gendry is a I think we met him in the first book I think Ned came across him in the black when he went to see a blacksmith if you remember yeah he's one of uh, Robert's bastards but he obviously doesn't know that <clears throat> <laughs> and uh, and the city watch do and they're trying to, to to find him to to bring him back to King's Landing yeah and uh, Yorin won't give him Yorin won't give him up. Yeah, he says he's a member of the Watch now, so um, he's nothing to do with you anymore. And he he stands them down. He uh, along with it's quite interesting. The rest of this group, even though they're a fairly you know ragtag bunch of people of uh, questionable backgrounds, <laughs> that's they one all, way of putting it. Yeah, they all sort of come together to defend each other here and say, you know, you're not taking any any one of our group. And in the end, the uh, the gold cloaks have to retreat. Yeah, and it's a really interesting scene, isn't it? Of like mm. of um, of the kind of brotherhood that seems to come about when you're just at the end of your tether, because because you know the Night's Watch is is the end of everything. You know, you, you're screwed. There's nothing else to be done. And yeah. so it seems that a lot of these people have already sort of clocked that and have decided that they might as well have friends at the end of the world rather than not. Yeah. Um, and Hot Pie is a uh, is all cheering and uh, <laughs> and delighted that they've managed to sort of stand down the gold cloaks once the gold cloaks retreat. But um, Yoren sort of brings him back down to earth with a bump when he says, "You know, they'll be back, yeah. and we're going to have to really get a move on now because this has turned into a chase." Yeah, and that just makes you think. It just ups the ante again, doesn't it? We already know that they. That they're journeying into a very dangerous area now, yeah. Um, and they're not exactly the most, the strongest fighting force in the world. And you feel they're going to need to get a lot of cunning and 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 a lot of luck to actually get through there and get north, because it's a, it's they're going through a dangerous place with um, 
dangerous people chasing them now. It's a great cliffhanger, isn't it? Like it sets mm. it sets up the rest of whatever this journey is going to become. It sets it up brilliantly. Okay, next up, we've got a chapter um, about John. Um, it seems that Sam has been doing a bit of studying. He's uh, he's been looking at a few different maps. This is ahead of the expedition that they're going to go on north of the wall. That's where we left them last, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So there was this big cliffhanger about there's some guy called was it Mance Raider? Yeah, Mance Mance Raider, who was never really going to be a stay at home type, was he? No, <laughs> a name like no. that. I'm going to call him Mance Raider, and he will be a greengrocer. No, no chance. <laughs> Mance Raider will be a raider. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so they're going to go out and find out what's going on there because there's various different things that have been happening north of the wall, which have been have been worrying the uh, the Night's Watch. Um, Sam, even though he is technically a steward, is going to be coming along to look after the ravens. Because he's, he's, he's quite a badass, isn't he, Sam? I mean, he's the sort of guy where you, you move heaven and earth to get him on a really difficult assignment because he'll always man up to the challenge. It does seem like a um, like a move that is putting a square peg in a round hole, yes. doesn't it? It's a move, to be honest with you, which is like putting, like I don't know, like a square... A square peg 50 miles across in a hole an inch across. Do you know what I mean? Like, just so bad. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, Sam is going along on this trip. Um, John wanders out into the yard and sees a few of the new recruits training. And um, he, he says to the armourer, Donald Noy, who he's become quite good friends with, he says that they smell of summer. And it's pretty much what he would have been like when uh, he arrived about a year ago. You gotta love how quick. Has it really been a year? I don't know, actually. Maybe not so much. Not even that. Because um, it cause seems in, like a long time ago now. In my head, he's still. Yeah, it does. Um, but it, but to me, he's still fourteen years old, and I just love the idea of a fourteen-year-old <laughs> boy wandering around. You know, like it's like it's it's year whatever it is at school. Just looking at the kids who've just come up the year, just just become yeah. the youngest year, and going, "Oh, you don't even know you kids, you kids." <laughs> <laughs> Aged fourteen, they smell of summer, unlike me and all the harsh winters I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mentioned this Donald Noy guy, who's the armorer, and um, he's actually uh, he's got quite an interesting sort of history to him. He was the armourer for King well before he was the king for Robert and he actually made Robert's massive warhammer um, so he was the sort of master armourer who did that and then he went to the wall once he lost an arm mm. um, and he he has a chat with John about these three um, brothers you know Robert King Robert and his two other brothers just to give us a bit of extra background and he does quite a nice summary he says that Robert was like true steel and he said he was. Um, and he said he was a really um, perfect person to win a throne, but like when you hang a sword up after you've finished using it, it goes to rust quite easily. Mm. And um, that's his description of King Robert. And then his, the other two brothers. This is t- the two which are claiming the throne now. He says Stannis is iron. He says he's a uh, he, completely unbending and mm. strong, but also brittle in a way. Mm. Uh, and Renly is like copper. Um, really nice to look at and quite impressive but not a great deal there in terms of strength I love that it's, you know iron steel copper <laughs> it's such a rubbish metal to be named after isn't it <laughs> well 
you know it, it looks good though uh, that's true yeah. that's true it can't be denied that Renly knows where to get his shirts made but still it's, it's also an excellent conductor <laughs> are we extending the metaphor a bit far <laughs> yeah I think it might be um, <laughs> the, the other thing to mention about the, the group at the moment is that the, the stand-in head ranger is a guy called Thorin Smallwood now um, <laughs> sorry yeah yeah. <laughs> do you suppose he's going to have a chip on his shoulder about that he's going to have something to prove I, Thorin Smallwood, have entered this place and I would like to know where your daughters are. No reason. <laughs> he does seem a little reckless. Um, also, he doesn't seem particularly popular. I think he's a, a bit of a friend of uh, Sir Alistair. And, Sir um, Alistair doesn't have friends. He has people he hasn't started to hate yet. Yeah. And the, the Lord Commander, uh, the old bear, doesn't seem to be particularly keen on making him the standing first ranger. So obviously he's got a few misgivings about him. Mm. Um, Thorin's actually taken over from uh, Sir Jeremy Riker, who took over from Benjamin when he went missing. And Sir Jeremy was um, the guy who got bollocked in the last book for uh, for missing these two dead men, these two rangers, um, who, were, who were found killed just north of the wall. Um, and in the end, he was actually killed by one of the reanimated corpses. Yeah. Um, th- there's a there's a story a bit later on where it says he chopped off uh, the the corpse's head, and it still came at him and, and, and killed him. I'm interested in that, right? Because while that is some creepy shit, and I'm alongside the idea of some creepy shit, I'm up for that sort of creepy shit. But um, <laughs> like, how does a zombie know where you are at that point? It's lost. And all of its senses, apart from touch. So is it just doing it on memory? Like, just have this wonderful idea point. of a zombie kind of trying to perform deductive reasoning. He's <laughs> over here, last. Eat his face. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit! I'm well, making out with the like sideboard or something instead. Yeah. Well, there's there's two things about this. Um, one is yeah, that's actually a good point. Although I suppose if it was close enough to be grabbing him, it could still uh, that's true. Just, just sort of make some general stabbing motions but I thought two things about this one um, it's obvious that these aren't zombies in the sense that we know insofar as every zombie film you ever, especially you know let's look back at the last book we did um, oh, yeah. with the uh, zombie apocalypse remove the head and your problems are over yeah um, that this obviously isn't the case with these whites as they're known in this book um, and also in terms of how did they know I thought you were going to go down a different track here as in how did they know who to go for because these two bodies that come back to life, they go for the standing head ranger um, oh. and and the Lord Commander, because the other the other one's in his chambers, isn't it? When John finds him and has the fight, so yeah. the, so it's almost like they're they're, they're assassins because they're going for the <laughs> sort of leaders, aren't they? Zombie assassins. Now there's a movie you'd pay to see, wouldn't you? Yeah, but I mean, what do you think? Cause it, it suggests some kind of. Knowledge maybe of the previous life, doesn't it? Well, it does, and um, I, I think that's quite interesting. I'd never thought of that, and I like. I think it's, you know, like I instinctively I want to say, nah, you know, it's nothing. It's just chance, but maybe it is. Could be it, coincidence. Yeah. In which case, like, what the hell? Like, this is. I'm not certain I can take much more complexity introduced to this to this world. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I, that's a really interesting point, Matt. I hadn't thought of that at all. I'd be interested to see how it pans out. 
Okay, and the other thing to mention about this chapter is Sir Alistair, who we just touched on briefly. Sir Alistair, no. Alistair, yeah, sorry. He's not there anymore. He's uh, he's headed off down to King's Landing. Um, he's basically been packed off. He's, he's carrying that. Do you know that hand that was still alive when John <laughs> cut it off? <laughs> he's got it in a jar. <laughs> what have you got there? Hand in a jar. What of it? <laughs> It's still moving. <laughs> so he's basically got Thing from the Adams family. That's amazing. That down to King's Landing. That's that's, incre- that's incredible. It's like it's the it's it's the ultimate odd couple, isn't it? It's Sir Alistair, this sort of stick up the arse, joyless wanker, and then and then the idea of having like a zombie hand that's really happy go lucky. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll see if that's the case when he turns I'll up. I'll put in my money on it. You scoff. <laughs> um, okay, the last chapter for today is about Caitlin. Um, she is standing by as uh, Rob is discussing possible peace terms with a, a, a Lannister who's called Sir Cleos Frey. He's one of, a, he's one of, sort of Jamie Lannister's cousins. Mm. Um, Rob has been crowned now. He's got this sort of... Uh, He's got, he's got this northern crown on his head, and it's, it's just he's it, pretty badass. That crown, isn't it? Like, yeah, do you want to talk about it? Well, what is it? There is there's no gold. What is it made out of? Iron nails and copper or something? Yeah, and it's yeah, like Renly would like it. Yeah, yeah, Renly would love it. But Rob's got it. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just love that idea of like kind of like so unyielding is the uh, is the northern approach to being like. <clears throat> That they won't for a second um, countenance the idea of anything as Ponzi gold, gold yeah. in a crown. Are you mad? Iron. <laughs> That's what make it out of nails. <laughs> it's a no nonsense crown for a no nonsense area, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's this peace offering uh, which Rob makes pretty much full in the knowledge that so it's never going to be accepted. Um, there, there are various conditions. Um, not the least of them being that the uh, that Joffrey has to renounce all claim to the north um, and also send back um, Ned's bones and his his great sword and um, the various other conditions. You know, send back there, release the girls and all this. Um, I mean, it's very unlikely that any of that's going to be taken on board, isn't it? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 from the blagging school of diplomacy, isn't it? You know, if you don't ask, you don't get. Um, but it's, um, I mean, it's interesting, though, because I, I think, like, this is a peace deal. Like, there's some elements of it that's clearly never going to fly because they want to keep Jamie Lannister and stuff. But, hmm. like, but if you took that out of it, organise some sort of checkpoint Charlie handover sort of thing, um, this, you know, if, if Joffrey was wise, would be, you know, peace. He'd rule what he wants to rule. He wouldn't rule the bit that he couldn't possibly hold anyway. End of. However, the the opposite part of that sentence is if Joffrey was wise. <laughs> and actually, what it is is Joffrey's a psychopath, so it's never going to happen. Yeah, I don't know, though. You're not making a bit light on of, of giving up what's effectively half of your territory. Well, that's true, but you're never going to hold it anyway, are you? Do you know what I mean? It's not like they can say no because we have a credible claim. Well, we have a, you know, we have a credible force that we can send in against this enormous territory, all of which has risen and crowned somebody else. At a certain point, you've got to... I mean, unless unless there's, like, Lannister-loyal bannermen hidden in the north somewhere, 
or half the people actually quite fancy being southerners or living at Castley Rock or whatever. Unless you've got that, then you've lost it already. Do you know what I mean? Like they're never they're never going to get it back. Well, well, all of pretty much all of the North's power is with Rob now, and so, so it it basically come down to do the, do the Lannisters still think they can win? If they believe there is a chance that they can still smash that force, mm. then if you know if if Rob's defeated in the field. Then there's not a lot he can do about it after that. It's not like there's this there's this massive auxiliary force up at the uh, up at the neck which can which can hold back, you know, indefinitely, um, a, a, a large force trying to take back the north. Mm. I don't know. I, I think it. Um, I think it'd be it too much for the for even sort of a a, cons- a, a, a very strategically minded. And thoughtful king to give up. I think that's true, but I think that's because kingship involves I want and I get rather than yeah. this makes sense and I'm gonna, you know, it's not in a weird way. Kingship isn't politics because politics is about negotiation. Kingship is about just I've got the biggest sword. Fuck the lot of you. Yeah, and, and that that mindset brings you to this very destructive place where we're clearly now queued up for quite a long protracted war between these sides. Hmm. Now the, the the interesting thing actually I mean, at the end of this chapter um Rob sends Caitlin off to go and treat with King Wenley and um the interesting thing to do with this part of the conversation that we're having now is where does he fit into all this and what do you think he'll do oh, yeah. when obviously C- Caitlin's going to try and get him on side mm. um but will Renly accept Rob being king of half of the half of the kingdom well that's an interesting question isn't it because we we don't really know much about Renly at this point, except for the fact that he's the youngest son. He somehow resembles Copper, and he's <laughs> really he's got a huge force as well, hasn't he? He's like he's yeah. he's bought this massive army. So you sort of don't know, like mm. because it's not really clear what Renly's claim on the throne is, apart from I really want it. So yeah. um, so it's difficult to say, and because of that, you can't really work out what his reactions to other stuff is likely to be. Do you know? Yeah, there are a couple of nice things about Caitlin's character um, in this bit, which give us a bit more colour. Uh, the first is we've, we we see that she's um, she's actually feeling quite guilt. She's feeling really guilty about um, what happened to Ned. Insofar as in the series, it's a bit different, and um, Ned is is minded to go to King's Landing, and Caitlin's trying to stop him. Mm. Um, in in the books, it's the opposite, really. Ned. His first reaction is to say, "My place is here. I don't want to go." And Caitlin convinces him to go, and now she's feeling that it's her fault what happened to him. Oh, I see. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I, I don't really know why they've made that decision to change it because I think there's a mm. lot of juice in this of Caitlin being quite tortured. Um, yeah. Not that that's a nice thing to see or anything, but that is that is really interesting. This this idea of how strong she is because she's a significant mm. strategic voice, you know, and she's almost like her son's chief diplomat. Yeah, but she's also carrying around with her this enormous guilt about everything that's happened, which isn't really justified either. By the way, you know, this is politics. <laughs> she didn't yeah. make any of it happen. Yeah, um, but do, so do, but do in the TV series, I don't know why they changed that because this is a really interesting yeah. thing. Yeah, do you think this experience makes her overly cautious now? Because things mm. like she, she doesn't want to go to to Renly to to treat with him, although she accepts she should do in the end. Um, 
and Rob is, is Rob's other plan is to send Theon to Pike, uh, send Theon home to get his dad, um, who, if you remember, rebelled against the Crown not long ago, yeah. to fight with Rob against the Crown again. Yeah. And she thinks that is a dangerous move as well. Yeah. I just wonder whether um, this massive disaster which happened on the back of um, making a, a positive move um, a, a while back is now influencing Caitlin to think, you know, she doesn't want to make any dangerous just moves. Just shut it down, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I mean, I think that's true. Um, mm. I think, but I think it's interesting because there's two different, there's two different kind of things on deck here. Is I think he, Rob has to go and talk to Renly, otherwise Renly is going to start talking to um, the Lannisters. Um, yeah. and and you know he's in a slightly weak position now and this is a way to get in a very strong position and I think that yeah. is a good move I think sending Theon who so far has shown himself to basically be the sort of like clueless frat boy of this particular environment just the hey oh, it's all fucking brilliant isn't it I got a sword chopped somebody's head off shagged a load <laughs> of women it's all hilarious um, you know not a good choice. You've got a, one great diplomat in Caitlin and a terrible diplomat in Theon. Yeah, I mean, if, but who else are you going to send to the Iron Islands to treat with the the king? Because if he's going to listen to anyone, you'd imagine he'd listen to his son. That's true. I mean, I, I understand the logic of that, but I do still feel a bit like you've forgotten, haven't you, that Theon is a prisoner at that point as Rob. Mm. You've forgotten that he's got a childhood full of resentment to work out. Um, or I'm, I'm, you know, possibly he hasn't, but I'd be surprised if there wasn't something needling in him a bit about having been taken away from his home, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, the the other only other bit in this chapter is is to do with uh, just general strategy. Um, we have this conversation between Caitlin and the Blackfish, um, talking about sort of what's happening in a wider context in in the Riverlands at the moment. The the various lords of the Riverlands who are sworn to Caitlin's father to to the Tullys um, have been given leave to return to the lands to sort of take back um, what they've lost um, when the Lannisters have been running amok and um, most of them have done that relatively successfully although um, there is one I think there's one group which uh, took back the castle and then within a few days um, were attacked by. Uh, the mountains forces and oh, actually the, the whole yeah and the whole castle was wiped out that was it he'd put everyone to the sword again it's just another example of how much of a monster that guy is yeah 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 and so you've got this again it's mission creep isn't it you know you've decided mm. that you're going to carry on fighting um and but you've also decided that for honor's sake you have to let some of your guys go home and it's I understand. It's really interesting. Like it's sort of tactical decision making sense instead of strategic. In it, it's like, oh well, uh, we've got to let them go. So let them go. Shit. Yeah. Now what do we do? You know, there's not a lot of. Doesn't seem to be a lot of joined up thinking going on. But I couldn't have done better when I was 15. So you know, I've no stones to throw. Yeah, and the, the other thing that adds another element here is that there's a new Lannister army being formed now as well at Casterly Rock under the command of this guy called Sir Stephen Lannister. So um, there's a bit of time pressure here now with Rob as well because the longer he waits at Riverrun, his forces are getting weaker and the Lannisters obviously are getting stronger as another army is being, being put together mm. to, to, to sort of augment what 
is left of Tywin's forces up mm. at the uh, up at Harrenhal. Mm. So he doesn't. He needs to do something soon, doesn't he, Rob? He yeah, can't yeah. sit and wait it out, and he can't sit sending this st- this Cleos uh, Frey, you know, emissary back and forth mm. trying to work out a peace deal because all the time he's getting weaker and the Lannisters are getting stronger. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So it's everything's on a knife edge, isn't it? Yeah, and that's where we leave today. God. On that knife edge, yet more cliffhangers. Yeah, <laughs> and um, look, this is this is the time then that we uh, we can tell you where to read for next week. Um, and there's a nice big ninety-five page chunk to get through. Um, we're going to be reading from page one hundred and twelve, as far as page two hundred and seven, which let me just bring it up. It's a chapter about Tyrion, which begins: "The Queen was not disposed to wait on Varys." So when you get to that bit. Stop reading, and we'll talk about that part of the book next week. The Queen not disposed to wait on various... The Queen's not really disposed to wait on anyone, is she? The Queen's not disposed no to do anything. And... Uh, <laughs> I was going to... I've got no punchline there. I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, the only other thing to say is, if you've got any comments to make on the book or on the podcast... Uh, all you need to do is send them over to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com that's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on twitter we're on at sharkliveroil and with that Dave with that Matt it is time to say goodbye for now bye bye